Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Amazing. Well, this morning, I want to share with you a message that God's been stirring in me. Um, and the title of my message is Selection and Self-Selection. Selection and Self-Selection. Um, because there's a there's a passage in Scripture in the New Testament where Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. And I've wrestled with that for the 20 years that I've been a Christian. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does it mean? What does that mean? And, and how do I get chosen? Because in reality, all of us are called. All of us are invited. And Jesus is saying, you know, everyone's invited to the party. It's, it's the parable of the banquet, the wedding banquet. And, and the, the king actually invites everyone. He says, go to the byways and the highways and the alleyways. Go everywhere and anywhere and bring anyone in. And then at the end, he says, because many are called, but few are chosen. And so it's kind of like, for me, I'm like, why is it that some people obviously step into blessing and others don't? Why is it that some people obviously like break all the ceilings off their lives and others don't? What is that, God? Well, because many are called, but few are chosen. Why? How do you get into the chosen category? It's kind of like spiritual FOMO. Anyone heard of FOMO? The fear of missing out. Hashtag FOMO. But see, in our culture, actual FOMO can discredit us because we're chasing after what culture wants and we get distracted from what God wants and we're missing out on the spiritual stuff, trying to chase the culture stuff. But spiritual FOMO is how do I get among the chosen? What is the distinguishing factor there? You know, why is it that favor just seems to follow some people and not others. I've noticed that favor doesn't always follow the most gifted people. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that favor actually follows not necessarily the most gifted, but the diligent, the committed? Oh gosh, it's very quiet in here. Hello? The ones who are invested, the ones that are passionate, that favor actually follows people who believe what they're doing, who have passion around what they're doing. And it doesn't always necessarily mean you have to be from the right side of the tracks or you have to be naturally gifted. I've just noticed this about life, that sometimes even the smartest people in life don't do a whole lot with their lives. And so I'm like, what is that? What, what is that? Well, it's actually self-selection. Because everyone has the same number of hours in a week. Everyone actually does have the opportunity to choose. We select ourselves. And so this morning I want to talk around this concept. You know, every year um, for the last eight or so years, when we get to the end of the year, Sam and I sit down and I started this thing about eight years ago where I said, Sam, what are we going to do in the following year, this coming year that's out of the box? And I started doing this because... I realized that when I get behind my husband's ideas and I support him, this is the beauty of submission, is that God favors us and moves us into new areas of blessing. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm actually going to get right in on that proactively. And so I sit down and I say, Sam, give me an out-of-the-box idea and then I'll put legs to it. Now, he's come up with some crazy things and I haven't always loved them, all right? 
but we do them and God favors it. This is the Word of God works, people. God's really smart, okay? We need to stop figuring it out and just do what He says, okay? And so anyway, last year, I decided I wasn't going to ask Him, okay? I was just going to do it and then tell Him later. So I rang the dean of our university, Jeannie Trudel, and I rang her and I said, Jeannie, I want to enroll Sam in a business degree without him knowing. And she was like, awesome. She got right in on it. I'm like, I don't know if, if he can. I don't know if he qualifies. Um, and she goes, well, hang on. How long? See, the reason I did this is because I've known Sam for about 18 years. And the whole time I've known him, he's talked about doing study. But he's always kind of gone, oh, nah, nah, probably, nah, I won't do that. And I've just heard about it for so long that I'm sick of hearing about it. And I know his brain works this way. So I was like, this time, the -the out-of-the-box idea that I know he's incubating but would never do, I'm going to make him do it. (laughs) So I rang Jeannie. Jeannie got in on it. I'm like, I don't know if he'll, you know, what, what kind of criteria, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, hang on, how long has he been running organizations? I said, well, about 16 years. She said, well, if he can prove that, he can go straight into a master's level. And I was like, really? That's awesome. And so she said, and he can do it in two years, and he can do it by intensives um, at home. He doesn't have to come in. I was like, this is amazing. So I enrolled him for an MBA. So he's doing his MBA this year, but I told him the week before he started. And I said to him, guess what? Next week, you're starting an MBA. (laughs) And he was like, glazed for two days. He didn't know what to say. I was definitely not his favorite person. But he, so this is what he's doing. And so he's been doing these six-week intensives for each module. Okay, and about, I don't know how many years ago, 15, 16 years ago, I did a business degree. And so um, anyone who's done business knows that what will sink you in business is accounting and statistics. Amen? It's common knowledge. So when I did business, I failed accounting. I like aced economics. I aced so many things, but I failed accounting. And so I had to do it again, and I just passed. And I was like, thank the Lord, I passed. I never have to see that again. It's done. I was just happy to to get it done. And so this last module, Sam did accounting. And so when we found out that was the module, I was like, look, don't be too hard on yourself. Everyone fails accounting. Not Sam. He nailed it. Like he just easily breezed through with 85%, like it's nobody's business. You know, some people are actually just naturally gifted and others of us, not so much. And so it's kind of reminding me, I'm like, I'm going to actually stop giving him advice now because he's way more gifted in this way of thinking than I am. Um, But in life, it's not always about what you're naturally gifted at. It also matters your approach to it, your attitude towards it, your commitment to it, your passion level, your responsiveness. What matters is what you put in. And so the good news is, take hope, church. Take hope 
that your natural ability and your pedigree aren't the be-all and end-all. That there are a lot of people in Scripture who were actually the most unlikely candidates but got in on the action because they got in on the action. Because they actually self-selected. They actually defied the odds. They said, no, no, that's not going to be the story of my life. I'm going to select myself. I'm going to step up to the plate. And there are plenty of stories in Scripture of people who got into arenas of greatness because they just stepped up. Because they just stepped up. Have any of you heard of the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke? So he's a, a man born in Germany who as a young boy at the age of nine got saved, at the age of 10 heard the call to go into ministry. And so God actually now has him working in Africa and he's been working in Africa his whole life. He saw a, a vision as a young man of the country, the continent of Africa being washed in the blood of Jesus. And he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Africa shall be saved. So he started doing crusades. Some of his crusades, um, one of his recent ones had Five million people in attendance. Open air crusades. Literally as far, you should Google it and look at these images. As far as the eye can see. He has to date been credited to seeing 75 million conversions. Like I can't even get my head around that. But I've actually heard from his own mouth that he knows he was God's third choice for the job. That God asked two men before he got to Reinhardt and they didn't take up the call. 75 million souls. Many are called, few are chosen. And so it's really actually up to us. I don't mind being God's third choice. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm totally okay with that. If that means I'm living on the edge and I'm doing what God asked me to do, I'm happy to be the third person. In fact, get out of your way with your lame excuses in life. Let me just do what God wants to be done. And so this is what I want to talk about this morning. Selection and self-selection. And I want us to go to Genesis, a story that is quite powerful out of the life of Abraham and his son Isaac. The truth is that life actually either expands or contracts in direct proportion with our investment. Your life will either get bigger or smaller in proportion to what you put into it. And so this story of Abraham we find in um, Genesis 23 and 24. But just a bit of background. We, some of us may know the story of Abraham who was promised as a 75-year-old man that he would be the father of a nation that his descendants would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth and outnumber the number of stars in the sky. He was promised that kings and queens would come out of his lineage and actually Jesus came out of the lineage of Abraham. And this is all awesome, except that when God first promises to Abraham, he was 75 years old and he hadn't had any children. And so sometimes the things we hear from God are quite impossible, right? And so we just immediately write them off. Well, not Abraham. So he heard this promise when he was 75, and then he wasn't, uh, it wasn't until he was 100 that he actually held his son. He had to 
hold on to that promise for 25 years. And so he was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 when they had their first son. And so what we also know about Abraham is that he lived in the nomadic era where they would just travel. And so they lived in tents and they would just move around. And Abraham was following the direction of God his whole life. Wherever God said to go, he went. And so often he was mobile and he was transitional. And so he's moving his flocks, his family, and it was all growing. God was blessing him. Um, They say that Abraham was the wealthiest man of his day that he was like royalty, that God had blessed him so much that he was that wealthy that he was like royalty in his day. And so we see now that he's, he's, Sarah and Abraham have had their son. And in Genesis 23, Sarah dies at the age of 127. And Abraham and his son Isaac are both grieving. And so Abraham buries his wife, he buys a plot of land because he doesn't own any land. He buys a plot of land and he buries his wife. And it says in the scripture, it's so beautiful that Isaac every day was in the field meditating on the word and mourning the loss of his mother every day, meditating and mourning. And Abraham calls his servant in and he says, you know, Isaac's old enough to get married. So I want you to go back to my homeland and find an eligible wife for my son. Can you imagine that responsibility. Anyone here want to pick a marriage partner for their boss's child? Whoa, big deal. Okay, so come and find my son a future partner, right? That's a big deal. I can just imagine Sam asking one of you to pick a husband for one of our daughters. Like crazy, not going to (laughs) happen. So the servant actually feels the weight of this. And Abraham says to him, no, don't worry. In verse 27, he says, the Lord is going to send an angel ahead of you to make sure that your your mission is successful. And so what he does is he packs up 10 camels and he packs them up with all the wealth and all the riches that they can carry as a bride price when he gets there and he finds this girl. So I want you to imagine that these are my 10 camels. These are my 10 camels. I want you to imagine this is an Arabic caravan traveling through the Middle East, all right, and they're loaded up with riches, gold, um, beautiful clothing, spices, all the wealth that they can carry, 10 of them, all right, and so he's traveling into Abraham's hometown, and we find ourselves up to date now in Genesis 24, verse 11. He made the camels kneel down beside a well outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too, then Um, Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he'd even finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. Verse 17, running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink from your water jug. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from the shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. 
So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all of his camels. And the story goes on that he's like, well, she must be the one. So he gives her some jewelry. She takes him back to her father's house. They have a conversation and find out that she is indeed an eligible um, wife for Isaac. And her, her father gives her, her his blessing. And she goes back with the servant to Abraham's house. On the way there, Isaac is in the field as he has been every day in this period, meditating and mourning. And he looks up and he sees the camels coming. And he starts walking over and Rebecca sees him. She gets down off the camel, they meet, they become husband and wife, and the scripture tells us that she gave him great comfort in that season of mourning the loss of his wife, the loss of his mum. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful story. But when we look at this illustration, these 10 camels and, and Rebecca at the water well, this is, this is the thing about selection and self-selection. What is it that qualifies us to step into the fullness of what God, God has for us? And so my question is, like, because it's awesome, isn't it, when we can sit in the comfort of our own home and read Scripture and go, oh, that's nice. That's, that's a lovely story. But I'm thinking, well, how much does a camel drink? And I don't know, like, if you got through primary school, you might be aware that camels drink a lot. And there were 10 of them. So I'm thinking, well, how much do 10 camels drink? So I went to the source of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding, Google. And I asked Google, how much does a camel drink? And then I tried to work it out according to a standard bucket. And so I, I learned with my limited accounting and math skills <laughs> that she would have to have drawn 150 buckets of water to water the camels. But she was only asked for a cup of water. He didn't ask her to water the camels. It was a test. Church, it's always a test. It's never not a test. It's always a test. She was asked for a cup of water and she responded by saying, sure, and I will water all your camels. She didn't even know that today was going to be any different to every other day. Here she is doing what she does every single day with her friends, her colleagues, her peers. They're all doing the same thing they do every day. Anyone else got some monotonous daily tasks that they do every single day? Anyone else live in laundry purgatory? Yeah, I see you. Uh-huh. Oh, my dear Lord. When we had our second child, I said to Sam, you need to get me a dryer or else just check me into hospital because <laughs> ain't nobody hanging up that many little socks <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that she's doing the daily monotonous thing and she had no idea that today was any different 
She had no idea that today was any different. It was a test. It was a test. Selection. She was selected. Self-selection, she was then chosen. By her response is what got her chosen. She had no idea that today she was going to go from common girl to princess. There was no sign foreshadowing what was about to happen. There was no announcement. He didn't say, look, if you water my camels, you're going to be the princess of the world. She had no idea. Selection and self-selection is all dependent on our response, on our response. And so here we have this very ordinary situation that turns into an extraordinary situation based on her response. God is waiting for our response. For her, it was 150 buckets. I wonder what it'll be for me tomorrow. What will it be for you tomorrow? And so God often intercepts us when we least expect it. Greatness is on the other side of inconvenience, not this side. The thing is, we all want greatness, but not many of us do what's required to get there. Greatness does what everyone else is avoiding. Greatness goes the extra mile. It goes the second mile. It goes above and beyond. Greatness has a whatever-it-takes attitude, not a bare minimum attitude. It has a whatever-it-takes attitude. Attitude. Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb and failed more than a thousand times, said opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. Opportunity never looks like opportunity. True opportunity in the kingdom often looks inconvenient and monotonous. But it's a test and it determines how far we will go. And so how do we self-select? And so I want to look at the life of Sarah and just give you three quick thoughts on how do we self-select because we're all chosen. We're all called. Few of us are chosen. And the choosing is dependent on our response. So the first thing that I realize about Sarah's response is that serving is a precursor to rulership. Serving is the precursor to rulership. Jesus himself in Mark 10 talks about leadership, talks about being able to rule and lead. And he says in verse 43 of chapter 10 in the book of Mark, you are leading by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then you have to live as one who is called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom in exchange for the salvation of many. You know, it goes really quiet when we read passages like this because our flesh does not understand. Jesus is not saying that promotion and prominence is bad. He's not saying that greatness is something we should avoid. He's saying this is how you get it. He's teaching us the pathway to it. He wants you to be great. He wants you to advance. He wants you to step into the fullness of what he has. He's saying the way to get there is to be a slave, to serve. Instead of being entitled, we're servant-hearted, and that is the pathway to leadership. 
Serving is the precursor to rulership. Jesus also says, if you can't be faithful with what is another man's, who's going to give you your own? We actually prove our credibility in our ability to serve. If you don't serve, you're going to be the worst leader that ever lived. We have to be servant-hearted. And so Rebecca was servant-hearted. She was like, sure, I'll do that. And she served the man in such a way that qualified her, that qualified her to become a princess, that qualified her to become royalty, that qualified her to have authority because she served. The pathway to greatness is servanthood. The second thing that we need to understand is that generosity opens doors. Generosity opens doors. Proverbs 11, 24 and 26 is amazing. Verse 24, it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Anyone want to be worse off this year? Show of hands, who wants a smaller life at the end of this year? No one. Awesome. Anyone want to be bigger and more blessed and extended? The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets, oh, but you don't know. I I can't. I don't have enough. That's a lie. That's a lie you're believing from the enemy that wants you to get smaller, that doesn't want you to get bigger. He wants you to shrink. He doesn't want you to reach the potential that you have. Everything you need, you already have. And if you're faithful with the little, you'll be given much. Generosity opens doors. Proverbs also says a gift makes a way. A gift goes before us. Generosity opens doors. It opens doors. We have to be generous and not withhold. We cannot withhold. We have to be generous and go the second mile in our generosity. Give bigger than what's expected. Matthew 5, Jesus makes this amazing statement in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone compels you to walk one mile with him, go two. Go the second mile. The first mile for Rebecca was a cup of water. The second mile was 150 flipping back breaking buckets of water. And that's where the promise was. Not in the cup. In the 150 buckets of water. That's where the promise was. That's where the door was. Generosity opens doors. The thing is, generosity opens doors. We don't even know a doors until they're open. We have to go the second mile every time. Every time. Because we don't know which door is going to open. It's FOMO. It's spiritual fear of missing out. Let's get spiritual FOMO instead of stinking cultural FOMO. Like, who cares what the world's doing? I just want to be in on what God's doing. I want to step into the fullness of what God has. And so the second mile requires generosity. The second mile requires I stretch myself and I go above and beyond. You know, we're greeted with mundane opportunities every single day. 
They're so mundane. With our bosses, with our colleagues, with our children, in the grocery store, driving past someone down the road, at the coffee shop. You know that that check you get? Don't you ever pass that again. Ever. Because you don't know what door that might be. That person that catches your attention in the coffee shop, don't leave until you've done something about it. That hunch you get in the grocery aisle or at the checkout, do something about it. When you're waiting, I'm just speaking to myself. (laughs) Carolina, when you're at the school gate waiting every afternoon and you notice that mum that you've never noticed before, Stop. Engage. Listen for the Spirit. Do something about it. This is where the kingdom of heaven waits for us. In the mundane and in our obedience to the mundane. Those small things. It's so powerful. The third thing is that consistency wins the day. Consistency wins the day. You know, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that in the hardest season of our lives, my mum was consistent. That when things were really tough, she was so consistent. And I will forever be grateful to her for that. When things were so hard and so impossible and so stretched, she positioned us week in, week out, week in, week out. No matter what it looked like, she was consistent and she put consistency into our lives. She drove us around town every single week. A single mum working two jobs would drive us to choir rehearsal, life group, youth ministry, two services on a Sunday. And she just positioned us week after week after week after week. The book of Ezekiel, the prophet says this, I acted out of who I was, not how I felt. You know what? Your feelings are going to rip you right off if you follow them. Who are you? And what does God say about you? And what does God want you to step into? Act out of that. Even before you're there, even before you know whether you're going to get it or see it ever in your lifetime, act out of that. And I want to tell you, on the days you don't want to turn up are the days you actually need to turn up. There is a power in turning up. There is something supernatural about turning up when you don't want to. When you say, no, devil, Mm -mm. not today. I know where I need to be. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Consistency wins the day. Consistency wins the day. In Ecclesiastes 11, powerful scripture that I've built so much of my life on. You don't know the way of the wind. You don't know how the bones of a child grows in the mother's womb. So because of that, you don't know the works of God who makes everything happen. Verse six, in the morning, sow your seed and in the evening, don't withhold your hand for you don't know which seed will prosper, this one or that one, or whether they'll both be good. Sow in the morning, sow in the night, sow all day long because you don't know which seed is going to bear fruit. There are so many times I'm reaping a harvest going, 
man, I wish I could figure out which seed that was because I want to sow more of that seed. But we don't know. I wish I could just go, yep, that was that. I'm going to keep doing that. But we don't know. We just have to consistently be serving, consistently be generous, consistently be turning up, doing what we know we're supposed to do, acting out of who we are, not how we feel. How do you self-select? Consistency. Consistency. That's how you self-select. So I want to read you this passage now, our anchor passage. In Matthew 22, Jesus speaking, the parable of the wedding feast. As was his custom, Jesus continued to teach the people by using allegories. He illustrated the reality of heaven's kingdom realm by saying, There was once a king who arranged an extravagant, extravagant wedding feast for his son. On the day of the festivity, the day the festivities were set to begin, he sent his servants to summon all the invited guests, but they chose not to come. Self-selection. So the king sent out even more servants to inform the invited guests, saying, come on, the feast is ready. It's amazing. It's all prepared. Come, come to the wedding feast for my son and his bride. But the invited guests were not impressed. Self-selection. One was preoccupied. Dear Jesus, am I preoccupied? He was preoccupied with his business. Another went off to his farming enterprise and the rest seized the king's messengers and shamefully mistreated them and even killed them. This infuriated the king, so he sent soldiers out to execute the murderers and had their city burned to the ground. Well, that's pretty extreme. Verse 8. Then the king said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, yet those who had been invited to attend didn't deserve the honor. Whoa. Now I want you to go into the streets and the alleyways and invite anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone you find to come and enjoy the wedding feast in honor of my son. So the servants went out into the city streets and invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike, until the banquet hall was crammed with people. I love it. Now when the king entered the banquet hall, he looked with glee over all of his guests. Don't you just see this picture? It's amazing. But then he noticed a guest who wasn't wearing the wedding robe that had been provided for him. Like, wow, hello, you can be sitting in church, still wearing your rags. Hello, you may not have turned down the invitation, but you're sitting here turning down your royal robes. And he says, friend, where is it? Friend, how is it? that you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment. Can you just hear the heart of God? How can you be here and still dress like that? But the man was speechless and the king turned to his servants and said, well, tie him up and throw him out into the darkness, figuring that's probably where he just wants to be anyway. Verse 14, everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond with excellence. Everyone's invited but few respond with excellence. Everyone's selected, not everyone self-selects. Many are called, few are chosen. And that is up to us. God wants all of us. God has blessing for all of us. God has a destiny and a plan and breakthrough and blessing, prosperity, influence, royalty. He has it for all of us. 
But beyond the point of invitation, self-selection is up to us. This morning, as we apply this, my prayer is God search my heart, renew a right spirit in me, that I can be responsive, that I can be on the front foot, that I'm actually living the life you intended me to live, that when I get to the end of this, I haven't wasted a day, I haven't been preoccupied, haven't been distracted, I haven't spent my days missing it. That even in the mundane, I'm responsive. And as I'm responsive, I'm gonna walk through amazing doors. Doors that I didn't know were doors until they were open. That I'll follow my feet in response, that I'm not gonna be tied down by distraction, by being preoccupied, by excuses. I wanna tell you, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. You don't have to come from the right side of the tracks. You just self-select. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna believe what God says about me. I'm gonna step into this royal position He has for me. And the way to do that is serving. The way to do that is to be generous. And the way to do that is to keep doing that over and over and over and over and over and over again. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.